Just a quick note before we begin today's pod. We here at Top Docs want to thank Netflix for being the presenting sponsor of our second series of the pod. And we want to congratulate them on The Elephant Whispers winning the Academy Award for Best Documentary Short. And we're thrilled to announce that Netflix will be the presenting sponsor of season three of Top Dogs. So again, congratulations and thanks, Netflix. It's really a portrait of the loss of home as experienced by three generations of Iranian-American women. And so myself and my mother, Mitra, and my grandmother, Bechat, each navigating our relationship to Iran and, most importantly, and relatedly, to each other. And so for the audience, just to be clear, Junam is not your grandmother's name. I can see how someone might make that mistake. What is Junam? It's a term of endearment in Farsi. The literal translation means my life, but you would use it as my dear or my dearest or my soul. So you would attach it to someone's name. You would say Michael Junam or Sierra June. So it's a very popular thing in Iranian Persian culture. You'll hear it a lot if you start paying attention in those spaces. That's Sierra Urich talking about her film Junam, which premiered at Sundance this year. And it's out there on the festival circuit. So if you get a chance, please do try to see it. This is Sierra's first documentary feature. And if you like our conversation, please do follow the pod wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us at Top Docs Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. So now my conversation with Sierra Urich about her film, Junam. Sierra, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you. It's great to be here. Do you have a hidden gem, a documentary that you don't think gets the attention that it deserves? The reason that I started working with my producer, Keith Wilson, is because his previous film was another personal film by a filmmaker named Reed Davenport called I Didn't See You There, about his experience being a disabled person and feeling watched but not seen. And it's a really beautiful, artistic, personal film that uses sound and texture and visual storytelling in this really great way. And that's how I got to know Keith and why I was ultimately really interested in working with him. And then the other film that really comes to mind is one called Radiograph of a Family by Firuze Khosrovani. It's almost the opposite of I Didn't See You There and that there's not a ton of visual storytelling, but it's a lot of dialogue and creative use of voiceover. I watched that film while I was making this film, and it really taught me a lot about withholding information or that you don't need to show everything, you don't need to tell everything, that so much of the story can happen in the viewer's mind. So that's another big one that is also a personal film, but done in a really artistic way. So for the audience, we have had both Reed and Fruze on the pod. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, I recommend both of these films. Reed's just a fun guy, too. And Fruze is really interesting. It is a really fascinating documentary. I recommend both highly. So we love to talk about openings. And this film is a film that in some ways eschews kind of typical narrative or plays with it, at least. But we open on a snowy landscape and we hear this disembodied voice say, it's not here, which I think alerts us to the themes of presence and where we are. And then that's translated into a language that we'll discover as Farsi. You seem to be in a very rural setup. It's even more rural than I think the family home that we see later. And you're in the kitchen and you're listening to the program. And 
it's a bit comic because the narrator is very much insisting that you say, I am an American with right. emphasis. <laughs> and I think this sets up some of the themes of your film, right? The literal and figurative distance between where you are and where you'd like to be. That's a great explanation of the opening. The intention was to really land you in place because so much of the film is about place and land and longing and distance and disconnection. And so that was really our goal in, in creating that opening is land you in where we are and remind you of where we're not. Land you in who I am and remind you of who I'm not. And of course, humor is such a big part of the film. And so when I was editing with Maya, a supervising editor, we really wanted the opening to feel like you're almost like landing in a rom-com opening or you're landing in a meet the character that's really engaging and fun. And since this is a non-linear film, I'm going to, often in these interviews, we walk through the film kind of linearly in order. I'm not going to do that today. The film invites us to think about this differently. So I'm going to jump right to the very end. So the very Great. last <laughs> shot of the film, we're in a kitchen again, right? And we do hear these off-camera voices again. This time your mom seemingly behind the camera and your grandmother in another room elsewhere. And it's both a, it's a dramatic and a comic a moment all at the same time. But I think the crucial thing is you're not alone at that moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think so much about this film is about like who has the right to tell what story and how one curates themselves or their identities or their appearance to either pass on a history or to protect themselves or their family or to shield themselves from judgment, <laughs> whether that be from the judgment of a authoritarian regime or from outsiders or your family. And so that last scene is this explosive moment between me and my mom really battling it out about who can tell what, who can see what, what we're allowing the world to see in our lives and whatnot. And then my grandmother sort of surprisingly enters the scene off camera and it becomes about the dynamics between the three of us and the tension of who gets to control what and the frustration of a mother-daughter relationship. But ultimately, you know, that's life, that's family. We always returning to each other at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk much more about this, but I'm going to talk about everything else before we get there. So let's talk about locales. As you said, locales are super crucial here. And in this way, you explore these different places, Vermont, Iran, your grandmother's apartment in Massachusetts. And it's often through, I think, some interesting techniques like hard cuts and matching shots. You explore this right away. Like in the beginning, we go from you walking out down the road in this very rural area in Vermont, and then it goes to a nice hard cut or really matching shot of you walking down the hallway to your grandmother's apartment. I, I thought there was some sort of symmetry happening there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's really how we were approaching the edit the entire time of having that visual storytelling or that visual continuity. And so maybe we're not telling you exactly where I am in this snowy landscape or even where this cabin is or whose house it is or do I live there, do I not? But that's not really important. What's important is that I'm setting out on this journey or I'm heeding the call of my mother. And so it's that visual continuity of entering into the void, into the abyss and landing in my grandmother's home. And that's really how we were like thinking about the arc the entire time, the storytelling and any sort of like sense of you know, linearity is more of a visual linearity than time and place. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, the other one is kind of the hard cut. I'll give you an example. There's photos of your mother as a young woman in Iran set to this great soundtrack of a 60s Persian kind of psychedelic rock band whose name, thank you, Shazam, but I will not attempt today. <laughs> and then there's a very hard cut to what seems to be a Fourth of July parade in Vermont. Yeah, I mean, that's intended to do exactly what you might take from it, that just there's a huge difference between how my mom grew up and the place that she lives now where I grew up. Or another really abrupt cut in the film is 
There's a montage with, you know, my sort of coming of age with the camera in hand, and then a hard cut to my grandmother talking about herself at the same age being very different and full of a lot of grief and hardship. And so just trying to continually remind the viewer that there's this sort of just this crevasse (laughs) that's like hard to bridge between these experiences and these places. There's a lot of attention to home. We spoke a bit about Radiograph of Family, which really does focus on the changes in her house over time. The removal of all the Western things, for example, it's really crucial. I love how you create locales. You have this thing where you're discussing lessons in Farsi with a tutor. We hear this roar of a chainsaw outside. We've seen some chainsaw work happening outside. I'm not even sure that's actually occurring at this moment, but kind of reminds us of where we are in place and time. And then you're discussing your lack of Persian and we see shots of Judy Bloom and Harry Potter and Christina Aguera, et cetera. And you really are trying to create sort of this experience of your place and your life and where you've been. Yeah, exactly. It's to really hammer home the idea that my upbringing, my home life felt exactly like my peers. You know, it felt very American, except for the bits of Iran that my mom could give me through what she says in that hairdressing scene, through food and holidays and the traditions. You know, my experience as a child of an immigrant wasn't that my home life was one thing and my school life or my peer life was another thing. I never really resonated with films that told those stories, though important, they just weren't mine. So I really wanted to get across the point in this film that I grew up feeling very American. I didn't grow up feeling Iranian at all. That was like my mom's identifier that I was tangentially associated with. But otherwise, I was about Harry Potter and Judy Blow when I spoke English. And my dad was a white American-born father. <laughs> and so it was not a personal identifier for me, which is what I'm really trying to access in the film, trying to make it feel like I can belong to this uh, identity as well. As we've been talking about, one of the crucial uh, storylines here is that you're drawn to Iran, literally in some ways, where your mother's family is from, where your grandmother's from, but you're in New England. And you do a great job of showing us Vermont, maybe a little bit of Massachusetts, maybe even a little bit of Maine, I think, at one spot. Did I catch that? Good eyes. (laughs) Thank you. And I think you do a great job of capturing Vermont. And you do it through this range of shots. You have some really close-up shots and you have medium-range shots, close-up shots of like little plants and then medium-range shots and then panoramic shots. In the opening, you you might even have all three going at the same time. It seems to me that nature is super important to you. And it's interesting in a film that's clearly about relationships and nationalities. Why is nature so important to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's about connection. I think it's about connection to the land. And of course, you know, nature is personally very important to me. Growing up in Vermont, right, it's a very rural state. You're constantly surrounded by nature. I just become kind of a part of your identifier, someone who values being close to nature. But outside of that, so much of Iran, the physical place is so inaccessible for me. And so... There's a shot later in the film that is like a jar that contains dirt on my mom's bureau. And it's not explained what that is. And some people may recognize it. Maybe they have something similar in their home and other people it might just fly by. But what it is is dirt from Iran that my mom keeps on her bureau. And it's really this connection to place, to land, to the physicality, to the very earth that I can't touch. It's hard to really quantify why that's important, but I want to just like continually hammer that home that I am of Vermont in this way, but also of Iran, this place that like I can't really, you know, touch the ground (laughs) in. So that's like the connection with all these shots of nature. Before we started the interview, 
Sierra and I were talking about the fact that I grew up in Vermont too, although I grew up in the giant megalopolis that is Burlington, slightly <laughs> different, but actually, no, I could ski, cross-country ski out the back of my house into the woods. It's a very integrated experience for those of us who grew up there. I also think it's about you in some way. I think you've been drawn to nature from the beginning. When I gave my kids cameras to shoot, they would all shoot things moving, the dog running or kids playing. One of the things you shoot is a tree. Um, <laughs> to be drawn to want to film a static object. Yeah, that's a really good, you know, I think you have some outside perspective that I might not, but that's a really good point. I think a part of it too is that I don't have any siblings. It was just me and my parents. And so a lot about growing up as an only child is that you really have to make your own world and what's the material that you have to play with? It's all these static objects. Um, so yeah, maybe it's coming from there. I don't know. I guess it's up to the viewer to make meaning out of that one. As you grow more comfortable with Farsi over time, one of the really first full sentences we hear you speak, I think to your tutor, is to point out the beauty of fall in Vermont. And I thought that was yeah. really interesting. It seemed like these two worlds are coming together at that point. Yeah, the film temporarily works with the seasons. We start in winter. Most of the experience with my mother and my grandmother is happening over a summer vacation together. Then we move into fall and you're really more with me in my personal quest to feel close to Iran and editing the film at that stage in like the seasonal cycle. <laughs> and at the same time, fall in September, that's when all these women-led revolution imagery was starting to come out of Iran. It felt like that was the perfect piece of the lesson to extract where I'm both commenting on the land, on nature, which has been such a big part of the storytelling. My language skills have grown. We're landing in a season where there's all this upheaval happening in Iran and it's taking us appropriately into the winter, which is where these final scenes happen. We're always thinking about the seasons while editing the film. So it just like naturally came together in that way. Yeah, and it's glorious in your your family's backyard, what they've done with that space. Your mom promises we're going to paint this house. Boy, the interior, it's like a, an ad for Vermont living. It's beautifully <laughs> done. Your house is beautifully done, and congratulations to your family for that. I want to talk a little bit about how you include technology in your film. We had Felicity Morris on talking about Tinder Swindler, you may have heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and we spoke at length about how all the social media was being interwoven with her film very deeply. Here, it's more subtle, but I, I think there's some moments, and I want to talk about one that I think is connected to our themes. You were looking at Google Maps and you travel from Tehran up to the north where your grandmother's town was and still is. And you grab the little Google Street View humanoid icon and drag him or her over and drop them on the town and it bounces back and you do it again and it bounces back. And it's a great little moment because we understand that this is about your desire for access, and your frustration not to have it. And frankly, it points out the liminality of Iran, you know, sort of exists outside our world in some way. You do this all without words. Yeah, thank you for picking up on that. That was exactly the intention because there are so many levels of barriers to access to to Iran and by proxy to my identity where there's the family memory element you're trying to access through family stories, but then there's also the limits of technology. There is no Google Street View in Iran, obviously. <laughs> Once you really stop to think about it, it's a no-brainer. But in the moment, you know, Google Street View, Google Maps, it's just a part of our world. And so it was really shocking when I tried to do that and it became clear, oh yeah, of course I can't do Google Street View here. And then you zoom out on the map and you see all the other places you can't do Google Street View. Now you're limited 
to do that in most of Africa. You can do Gulf Street Beyond North Korea. A lot of the Middle East has limitations. And so you really realize, oh, we're living in our own bubble. And it's a bubble that has these locked doors with this other place that is like so important to me to get into contact with. And then that even happens with my FRC tutors. There's a limit that happens there where I can't even continue to learn the language without politics getting in the way. The experience of being an Iranian, and I think especially being an Iranian who was born outside of Iran, is just a series of roadblocks or gates that keep you away from your, your identity. Yeah, just a side note for folks who haven't seen the film, uh, in the in particular scene, the a Farsi tutor basically says, like, really can't work with you anymore for political reasons. It's too close. You're too close. Again, we're touching on the relationships here. I hope everyone hears this indirectly. But I want to ask you about the ways in which your film reveals its own construction, because I think you do this quite a bit. One way you do it is by setting up the camera on a tripod, putting it on sticks, I'm told is a cool way to say this, and then... <laughs> letting the film run and then stepping into the frame at some point. And sometimes this can be lyrical, like the beginning of the film when you walk off in the distance. Often it's kind of comic. You walk into the scene with an amazing duck hunting outfit. I want to understand, what is your purpose? We talked to Kirsten Johnson about why she does this and how important it is for her politically to reveal the social construction of filmmaking. For you, why do you want to do that? What does it mean to you? Yeah, you know, I think... A lot of that was discovered in the edit. Of course, these are all things that I shot, so I could have chosen not to turn the camera on. But I think I had a sense that things were always happening in front of the camera that I was not privy to because there was a language barrier. And so a lot of times I let things run knowing that I wasn't catching all of it, but that there would be some things that I would find out later that were happening as a, just another added element that I had no idea about in the moment. And so... When we got the translations back, a lot of those moments that are about the filmmaking process just really revealed this dynamic between my mom and grandmother and myself that I had no idea about. You know, they're talking about me behind the camera. I'm fiddling with the technology. It just, it was hilarious <laughs> to get those subtitles back and realize, oh my God, they're making fun of me this whole time. And here I am getting frustrated trying to work the camera. And so it was really more in the edit that it became apparent that so much about this film was about me desperately trying to make a film to feel connected to my family and to Iran and how the setup for these stories created a stage that allowed us to explore these themes about family, about place, about loss, about disconnection or language barriers, that it wasn't so much what was happening, but you know what was happening around the scene. And so that really translated to what was happening behind the camera or in between the cuts or, you know, the technical difficulties that I was experiencing just trying to make a film with my family. Yeah. And related to that, I think another thing that you show that's about the construction of your film in some ways, which really ties into the kind of, as you said, the growing theme. So the initial themes seems to be, I want to go to Iran. The growing theme seems to be some of this reluctance on the part of your mother to participate in the film fully, the way you'd like her to participate. That resistance is heightened by the fact your grandmother is so very willing to be a participant. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, my mom and grandmother have very different personalities. My grandmother is big. She's boisterous. She is a comedian, I come to learn, and she loves to be in front of the camera. My mom is the complete opposite. She's quiet. She's private. She's an artist. She's much more philosophical. And so much about the film is me being caught between these two personalities. And yet the three of us are fiercely independent and somewhat controlling women. <laughs> and so, you know, we all take our turn trying to be the director of this film in different ways. And so 
it was really important to show the filmmaking process, to show how each of us are really like vying for for control of the story or vying for how this story is being told. Your grandmother, who I believe recently passed away, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, And, you know, in the film, she's nearly 90, but she is still, as your mom points out, just full of mischief. She's so lively. Yeah, she really is. The last year of her life, her health was declining. And a lot of that had to do just like mentally with slipping of her memory, slipping of reality. But until that last year of her life, she was this huge personality, this infectious sort of like regal woman. <laughs> you know, I, it, death comes from us all eventually. And to, to have had the opportunity to be with her in what became the last five years of her life was deeply meaningful for me. And to have the opportunity to really hear all these stories from her. There's a snippet that's in the film and there's so much more that's not in the film that I personally will cherish. When she was passing, it was us and all my cousins, we were in the hospital with her and she had lost the access to a lot of her memories by that point. And of course, this is in the film, but it was such a treat to be able to pass on some of those memories to my cousins or to other members of my family that may have not have had access to it. And so much of this film is about passing on an identity, passing on memories, collecting these things for yourself because they may not always be there one day. And so in the film, you like her memory starting to slip a little bit, but it just like very delicately hinted at. Yeah, it's a great tribute to your grandmother. You set up two storylines right from the very beginning. Your mom makes this phone call to you at the beginning and there's two hints of things we won't really get the full story about until later. Your mother's wedding day, especially your great, great grandfather's assassination. But you do hint at some things, I think, as we go along. So we hear a little bit of the wedding early on and we hear things, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we hear about Baha'i, Henna mm-hmm. on the wedding day. And so there's hints here that your family is maybe not part of the culture that eventually will rule Iran later. Am I getting that right? Yeah, exactly. My family are members of a religious minority in Iran, the Baha'i faith, which have been heavily persecuted and are still persecuted to this day. And that was a really big point of pride for my grandmother growing up, being a part of this religious minority. My mother, not so much. You know, she was raised in a religious household, but didn't personally identify with it. And there's a lot of trauma associated with being part of that religious minority that my mom did not want to adopt and did not want to pass to me. And so there are, for those who know, they'll pick up on those details. But for those who don't, it's less important the details about exactly the wedding or exactly how this assassination happened or who he was or what happened after, but more the, again, like the stages that they set for my grandmother. Her wedding was an act of independence for her. Being with her husband allowed her to be free in a way that we might associate with getting a driver's license or something today. Right. And the assassination of the relative is less about the specifics of the story and more about this wall of fear that it reveals between Iran and my family and my mom's fierce need to protect me from that. About 30 minutes in, it's a, one of my favorite scenes in the film, your mother is getting her hair done and the woman who's working with her hair uh, has, is asking a lot of questions. And I think we can all relate to this. I think we open up to people who do our hair in ways we don't to other people in public yeah. life. <laughs> you know, she does open up a bit and she starts to explain that it's a complex culture, Abijani and Turkish and Persian and how her uncles had been executed and her father imprisoned. And the one does share your mother's fear of her own daughter going abroad 
Your mom says, well, but it's very complicated, which is true. What your mom is saying true is at the same time, she seems to be maybe deflecting a little bit. She doesn't really want to get into this conversation. I think that's a really important thing to point out is that the film is intentionally not getting into things. The reason is for one, safety concerns, but two, that is the experience that I had growing up is that you're given a, you're given a crumb of the story and you're given a generalization of, oh, you know, it's too dangerous or it's a little complicated. We can't talk about it or I don't know, we just can't go. But you're not really ever given the specifics. And it's deeply frustrating <laughs> when you want to connect with a place and you're not allowed to. Furthermore, you're not really given exactly why. You know, the experience of making the film, I couldn't even really give that to the audience if I wanted to because things are so intentionally murky in Iran and the authoritarian regime it has so intentionally made them so to keep people in a state of fear so you don't know whether it's safe or not for you to go back. You don't know whether you'll be one of the ones targeted. You don't want to talk about your family's experiences openly just in case you might put someone in danger who's back home. And so this murkiness of vague danger but not being able to pinpoint exactly what it is, it's so pervasive in Iranian identity within Iran but also very much in the diaspora. When your grandmother finally does start telling the story about your great-great-grandfather's assassination, she's telling it, your mom's helping translate, and it all sort of breaks down. And your mom says she's worried about the consequences, that there might still be political consequences, and that it also brings up bad memories for her. What's really interesting to me is at some point she, I think, tell me if I got this right, she walks away and... The translation stops and we start seeing Farsi script, Persian script on the screen. I thought this was really a moment where we're putting your position very clearly. You literally don't know what's going on, but in some ways also your mother has served as a point of translation beyond language about culture, about relation with your grandmother mm. for you. Yeah, exactly. Her acting as a translator is my access to my grandmother. The two of us can communicate in very rough terms. But in terms of having an actual conversation about details and substance and stories, there's no way I can really access that without my mother's help. And so exactly like you said, I wanted the audience to experience that too, that when my mother quits, your access is cut off as well as an audience member to know what's being said in the same way that my access is cut off, that I know she's speaking. It's about this topic that I'm fiercely interested in. I want to know how the story ends, but my mother has left. And the only things that we can really communicate in are these very basic terms. And so that was really the goal in trying to give the audience the experience of wanting to know, but not being able to. Another way you communicate between each other and just more generally is through art, right? Your filmmaking, your mother's drawing and painting. And for your grandmother, it seems to be singing song. And it seems to be a way of dealing with the joy, but also the pain of your lives. Yeah, she's an incredibly musical person and something that Katya Milhailova did a lot of the original score that's in the film. There's a mixture of both original and non-original music, but she made a really interesting comment that magically, seemingly, my grandmother was always singing on pitch with the score of the film. You know, so much of storytelling and of poetry and song and music, Iranian Persian culture is so deeply steeped in those things. And even the way of praying for my grandmother is really in this lyrical sort of musicality. And so that was something I really wanted to employ in the film that maybe you're not getting exactly the story, but you know how the story ends through the lyrics and the music. And we see, as we look back, there's a great deal of photographs and footage and in some cases, drawings and paintings from your mother. And it really suggested a 
kind of a complicated relationship with the Iranian revolution at the start. In general, we would imagine because of your families being a religious minority and the fact that your grandfather was in the army, I would think it wasn't probably a great time for your family. On the other hand, there was a moment where there was a sense of, and again, just to explain a little bit to the audience, there was a number of groups who overthrew the Shah of Iran, including leftist groups. But there's a moment, a sense of like, this could be true freedom. Yeah, my mom was there up until right after the Shah fled. And so she didn't see what came for Iran after when the Islamic regime came to power. But it was this sense of we are overthrowing the Shah, who is a puppet of the West, who isn't the best fit for our country. And they were fighting for a democracy in the same way that we're seeing Iranians fight for democracy back then. And so my mom was an artist. She was making cartoons about it. She was filtering her experience in Iran through her work. And so those are the drawings that you're seeing in the film are her drawings as a 19-year-old in Iran, seeing her country go through this transformation and having a tremendous amount of hope that this is the turning of the tide that we all want. And of course, like you mentioned, there were a number of different interests involved in that revolution and ended up where it is today, unfortunately. But my mom's really processing her world through her art as a young woman. And then later in the film, her art today, and she's an amazing artist, is about trying to feel connection to her land and her home that she hasn't seen since that day that she left. And so I think my mom really uses art today to still process her feelings about her home and about her land and about her and communicate that to the world, but all herself to have something of this place. Yeah, there's a great painting that she's working on with this older woman and then there's all this flying tea. And of course, there's a moment where we hear the assassination happened over tea, basically. The young mm. man who's, who's assigned to bring tea was the assassin. You have some amazing archival footage. There's so much of it. It's so varied. One of the ones I think is just so surprising, it seems a little bit like a miracle, is you have some footage in a North American airport somewhere. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And for a while, and then the door is a custom. It literally says customs. They open and your grandparents walk through and you're like, no, <laughs> where did this come from? I am so thankful that my family decided to film this moment because I'm in the footage, but I'm very young. You know, I don't have a lot of memories from this moment. It was really surprising when I actually took a step back to look at the family archive to see how much we actually had. And the video from my family was used as a connector when my mom was in the U.S., it was a 16-year gap before she could see her family, before her parents were finally allowed to come to the U.S. as well. And they would send videotapes to Iran because there was no Skype, there was no Zoom. This was the way to show your life and communicate when you have nothing else. And then to see how that very camera is the same one that I then picked up as a child to experience my own life in Vermont. And then here's this camera again, finally documenting the moment of a reunion it was like personally astounding for me to see this footage, but also not surprising in a way because the camera has been used by each member of our family as a means of connection and expression. I've got to bring up your dad. Gary, is his name Gary? Yep, Gary. I have to ask about your father. Partly this might be a self-identification in the film, but in contrast to your mother and grandmother, he usually appears alone. We see one scene with him outside where he's talking to someone else, but it's at very much at a distance. He's generally facing away from the camera. Can you talk to me a little bit about the picture of him in the film? So he was a really important person to be in the film, but it was delicate to figure out exactly what his role would be because it is a film about three women, but it's not like I don't have a father or that he doesn't exist or that he isn't a part of my identity as well. And so we wanted to try and find the right balance for him in the film. And 
his depiction is really true to who he is. He's sort of a quiet guy. He's supportive and he's in the background the whole time. <laughs> but he's there and our relationship is very easeful. You know, the times that you see me with him, he's offering me a beer in the barn or I'm out hunting with him and it's kind of a comical scene. And so that was, again, to give you a little bit of this contrast of this relationship with my mother that is so beautiful and complex and layered, but also very fraught because of the limitations of what she can give me and my frustrations with that. And then that of my father, which is really my like, quote unquote, you know, I, I struggle with this because my mother is American too. She's a citizen. And to say my father's American, but my mother is not is a little bit problematic. <laughs> but he was born in America. He's of Eastern European ancestry. It was just like an identity that felt much more reflected in the wider culture in the U.S. growing up. And my dad, it was like easy, you know, it was easy to feel connected. He could give me his life easily. And that was his role in the film as full, this quiet support, but also it didn't require a lot of effort. About halfway through the film, your second tutor, or the second tutor we hear of her, basically takes you to Tehran with her. She takes her phone out. You instruct her, hey, horizontal landscape mode, please. I was the director. <laughs> she shoots these scenes. And it's really interesting. You, you seem delighted at first, but the music is hinting that the emotions that you're experiencing might be more complex. Yeah, that was the first time that I really saw Iran that wasn't through a family photo, wasn't through maybe a... YouTube video mediated with music and titles. It was really the closest that I could have to a direct experience with Iran. It was live. She was pointing things out. I was hearing people on the street. It was like, if I talk loud enough, will they hear me through the phone? It was the sense of, wow, I'm really there in the way that I, the only way that I can be. And yet I'm experiencing it through a phone. It's still mediated. It's through a Farsi tutor and not my mother. And it was like this so close and yet so far experience for me of, you know, just really deep longing of really wanting to be there, wanting to be able to go, wanting to be there with my family, have my family show me this place. And so it was a really complex emotion for me, just so beautiful to see, but so sad at the same time. What's up next for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I've got a couple ideas bubbling that are complete departures that I don't want to talk about too publicly. But if anyone knows anyone at ABC in the reality TV department, have them contact me. <laughs> so oh, I'll wow. give you that as a little hint. <laughs> so in the spirit of the film, I'm not going to ask a big summative conclusive question. It just doesn't seem right. Instead, I'm just going to thank you for this profound film that really shows us, amongst many other things, the incredibly complex and sometimes even confounding forms that love can take. So thank, thank you for you. that. And thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be able to talk through these things and get into the finer metaphors and details of the film.